on, but let's make a start. And, and we are recording. So if you don't want to be seen and recorded, um, keep your video off. So welcome to this meeting, Rising Left. We're going to be analysing the recent significant election results in France and in the north of Ireland. And we're really, really delighted to welcome Danielle Abono, MP from La France Insoumise, and Chris Hazard, MP from Sinn Féin. These are two parties with recent remarkable performances. And they will be joined on the panel by former Labour MP Thelma Walker, who's now from the People's Alliance of the Left. I know we've all been inspired by the recent election results in France and the fantastic role played by NUPES, the left alliance led by La France Insoumise. The results from the second round of the French general election show that thanks to NUPES, Macron's hopes of driving through more austerity were rejected and his majority has been slashed to 245 seats. NUPES took 131 and another 22 went to various other left-wing candidates. So we're very much looking forward to hearing from Danielle. To hear about the second historic victory, we'll be turning to Chris Hazard, Sinn Féin MP for South Down since 2017, when he took the seat from the SDLP. In the recent local elections, Sinn Féin had a historic victory in the north of Ireland, taking the largest number of seats in the Assembly for the first time, 27 seats, pushing the Democratic Unionist Party into second place with 25. As Michelle O'Neill has said, it had been an election of real change and, quotes, a defining moment for our politics and for our people. Of course, Sinn Féin's increasing support isn't confined to the north of Ireland, but they're leading in the Republic too. So this is a real time of opportunity for the people of Ireland. We're delighted to hear from Chris this evening how this victory was built and why Sinn Féin have such strong support across the island of Ireland. And then to complete our panel, we're delighted to welcome Thelma Walker. Thelma was Labour Party Member of Parliament for Colne Valley from 2017 to 2019, and she took the seat from a Conservative MP. During her time as MP, she sat on the Education Select Committee and was a member of the Welsh Affairs Select Committee, also serving as the Parliamentary Private Secretary to Shadow Chancellor of the Exchequer, John MacDonald. Thelma is now a driving force on the left outside of the Labour Party, working to bring unity and argue for a new politics of the radical left. Thelma is a leading figure in the New People's Alliance of the Left and will be drawing some lessons for us here in Britain from the experiences in France and Ireland. So each of them will speak for up to 15 minutes, then we'll have plenty of time for Q&A and discussion. So first of all, um, we turn to Danielle. Danielle is serving as the member of the National Assembly for Paris's 17th constituency, post she's held since 2017. And she's also a key spokesperson for La France Insoumise. So big welcome to you, Danielle. Thank you very much, Kate. And um, thank you everyone for uh, inviting me to this um, conversation, very important. 
we are very much uh, still in the aftermath uh, um, of the election and in the middle of um, of settling into the National Assembly again. Um, so it's very important to uh, have those uh, discussion with fellow internationalists because it will help us also analyze what we've been um, doing and what we've been achieving and what's uh, especially is ahead of us and 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 the the fight that is ahead of us because we we have big fights um, inside the parliament uh, and we've strengthened our, our ranks and uh, and hopefully will be able, able to to block many of uh, Emmanuel's Macron um, program and 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 reforms and anti-social anti-democratic uh, reform uh, but at the same time I think one one thing very important is that we need to build outside of parliament uh, the the biggest widest uh, social movements because and that's from the previous five years experience is that uh, the Macron has been shook at its core when there was those social movements like the Yellow Vest movement or uh, the movement against the pension reform. Uh, and that connected with the parliamentary work we were, we, we were doing at the, at the time. But uh, of course, now we are just um, trying to um, organize the fight within the institution, within the, the parliament. And I think everybody uh, acknowledged the fact that over the past month, uh, over the past uh, weeks, especially uh, our campaign, the new uh, popular union that we managed to, um, to form and to, and to build really shook uh, what was considered and, and especially by Macron himself, like, um, some um, uh, uh, something that he could bypass, like it was some administrative, you know, uh, uh, thing that he he didn't need really to to get to 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 get uh, involved in, and and um, right after the presidential election, the first round of the presidential election, when uh, Jean Luc Mélenchon, our candidate, who uh, had twenty uh, percent at this uh, presidential election, the first round, um, call to get him elected as prime minister. It was a very bold move that uh, actually built the foundation of our new popular union and, and, and really um, created this uh, uh, very dynamic uh, that, that, that we build and that we, we won um, in the past, uh, in, in the past in the past week, and thanks to that, we managed to actually become the main opposition, parliamentary opposition against uh, against Macron. Um, so, what I could say to me over the past um, weeks and, and days and hours that uh, could be any use for you is that the first thing is uh, the ruling class here in France is in very deep deep uh, trouble because because of what, what we managed to to do at the election but also because fundamentally they don't know how to face the economic crisis they don't know how to face the climate uh, crisis and they have um, even more problem uh, to face 
the democratic crisis, the discontent of the people, of workers, uh, which translated also during the, the elections with a high level of abstention, which is also problematic for us because uh, those who abstain from, from, from voting are the ones uh, that um, are from our side, young people, uh, working class people, and, and that affected us uh, the most. But at the same time, those institutions, the media, uh, are uh, more and more um, rejected by, by a lot of people who don't believe in that anymore. And that has an impact in the way the ruling class is able to maintain its hegemony in the society. We have a crumbling hegemony of the, of the, of the ruling class of neoliberalism, which in France had never been really able to win over the people. So uh, that put them uh, in a very difficult position. And that, that makes them uh, even more dangerous because what we've been seeing over the past uh, days, right after the election, is that they are ready to uh, make alliance with the far right, which is right beyond us, who own um, Marine Le Pen's uh, party, actually won uh, 89 seats at the, at the parliamentary election, which was unheard of. And uh, we've been hearing uh, members of, uh, of the presidential uh, uh, majority saying that they were ready to compromise and to deal with uh, the far right on some, uh, on some reform they wanted to pass and stuff like that. And, and those were not just lone voices, uh, but it was a, a clear strategy that uh, the Macron's, uh, Macron's uh, uh, majority uh, is, is, uh, is actually building the idea that now the far right uh, is a, a, a potential partner. They've been calling for, uh, at some point, for a government of national unity. Uh, and uh, even though they, nobody actually uh, responded to that, and no, not even the far right was 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 ready to do that. But it 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 shows that they are trying, and they are they are sending uh, some messages saying that this is uh, a possibility, which is really unheard of. And it shows also how far they are willing to go, rather than have, having us uh, actually taking over, because they really faced an, 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 an alternative, sorry, between uh, agreeing to consider us as the alternative or the far right. And they definitely, even during the, the, the election, when there were uh, some of our candidates were facing the far right, they abstained for calling to oppose the far right, which is also uh, very, very, uh, uh, worrying because now everybody is saying that there's no uh, red line against the far right anymore in France. I think it's also important to remind that uh, Emmanuel Macron was uh, elected five years ago um, op opposing Marine Le Pen. That's the only reason why he was, he was elected uh, because Marine Le Pen was at the second round and he, 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 he presented himself as the 
the one who could uh, prevent the far right to gain power. He did the same thing during the second round of the presidential election because he managed to get Marine Le Pen at the second round again. Uh, and then when I say he managed to get her there, it's it's actually what he said he wanted to happen uh, way before the election, the presidential election. He was talking to a member of his of his uh, majority, and he actually said we need to have Marine Le Pen at the second round of the election. That's our opponent, and we choose her as an, an opponent because he knew that there will be an anti-fascist reaction and people will again vote not for him but against her and that's what actually happened um so they've been playing with fire over the past five years not just by um giving credence to the idea that uh marie le pen was a done deal and she would be at the second round of the election but also by implementing one of the most brutal anti-social uh policy anti-democratic policies by having one of the most violent repression of social movements. I was talking um, at the beginning about the, 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 the Yellow Vest movement. Uh, according to Amnesty International, there have been 40,000 um, illegal uh, judi judiciary procedures during the Yellow Vest movement, 40,000. Uh, and I don't even talk about how many people have been injured, uh, two people been shot dead during those uh, movements. Uh, and, and that's actually what fed uh, the anger of the people, which also fed the far right, because anytime you have cases of police brutality, uh, the government have been covering uh, those deeds and, uh, and, and allowing factions of the, the police forces who are far right factions, they've been, you know, known for voting for the far right, but also claiming to have a political agenda, and they've been covering for them. So this is a state of, uh, of, the, of the country and of a ruling party in deep crisis, because now they got what they wanted, they got the far right stronger than ever, but also they got what they didn't want to happen, they tried to prevent it by every means, uh, is that we're here. We're here uh, as the main political parliamentary force in the parliament, but also we're here after five years of constant uh, uh, working class and, and social uh, movements, the Yellow Vest, the anti-pension reform movement, but also you got low level uh, working class uh, fights, you had sectors important sectors like the health care workers or the the the, the teachers who've been uh, in in constant opposition with uh, whether the health minister way before the covid crisis uh, and even during covid crisis we were very very angry against the government uh, because of the way it had weakened the health care system uh, and and the, the the teachers in particular because of the way the uh, the education minister uh, had, had been um, had been also destroying the our our universal educa education system. So this is a country in 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 constant opposition with the with the with Macron, and that's I think that's also what made possible for us, uh, especially first Jean-Luc Mélenchon to get twenty two percent of the 
a vote during the first round of the presidential election, uh, which is also uh, a, an historic result. Uh, and um, especially when you compare with the results of over uh, progressive forces and left forces like the Communist Party or the, the Green. I mean, even, even uh, when you compare with the Socialist Party who used to be in power uh, 10, year, 10 years ago. Uh, and uh, it's very important because the, the core of our campaign, presidential campaign, was our platform, our, our program, which was uh, in, a, in a clear um, uh, opposition with Macron, but also putting forward radical uh, demands. It was a radical program. And it's the first time, I think, uh, uh, since at least the early 80s, uh, that you have such a radical program that is um, that has a majority of the votes of people, uh, and that that's the first big shift that happened uh, at the at the presidential election. And then when um, Jean-Luc Mélenchon called to 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 everyone who voted for him at the presidential election to actually get back into the fight and campaign and get him elected prime minister, that was also a great boost. Uh, and then we. Uh, we we ask every uh, every other every other forces to to join us in this fight, and we also manage something that people thought were impossible before: is to unite um, those those political forces around our our platform to form uh, and to build this new new uh, popular union, and uh, and to actually manage to get people back to the to the poll, back to to, to voting. Um, despite the fact that, uh, despite the low turnout, we, we managed to get um, over uh, 150 people elected. And also when you compare the figures, you, it shows that in a lot of, um, in a lot of election results, uh, the far right won by very, very small margins against us. So it, it also showed that we could have done even better uh, if we had managed to, to win over uh, people who abstain and we've been abstaining a lot, or some of our earlier voter, people who voted during the presidential election, but get, got, uh, got um, uh, disgusted and, uh, by the, 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 the result at the first, first round of the presidential election. For, they thought that uh, usually it, it was also people who voted for the first time. And so they felt like a, a little bit very disappointed that we didn't make it. So they didn't come, they didn't come back uh, for, the, for the general election. But it's also, and I will end up here. I think I've been I way over my time. Um, uh, that's a very important uh, thing that uh, we need to build on and we're still processing um, uh, the, the, the results of the election. We're still looking at the figures and, and what has been happening all over the country. Why did people uh, didn't show up as we expected? Because as we said, there are now three active political blocs in this country. You got the Macrons, uh, the right, the neoliberal right with Macron, uh, who managed to uh, actually take most of the uh, traditional right-wing electoral, the conservative ones, and, and that depleted the forces of the traditional right-wing party, which was Les Républicains. Uh, you got the far right, 
the Marine Le Pen's uh, and, the, and the Le Pen's um, family business, uh, who's been here for uh, over 50 years now. And I think it's also important to see how they've been building that uh, for decades, way before we uh, managed to, to build our coalition. So they are a step ahead because I've had more time to, to, to build their, their influence and they've been helped by the media and all the system, but they are a, a block. And we, we've also seen a very vicious and, and hardcore um, dynamic within the far right with the candidacy, especially around Eric Zemmour. Uh, we, we, who was openly racist, xenophobic, uh, sexist, he's been accused of sexual assault by many, many women. Uh, and, and at the same time, you have Marie Le Pen who was trying to uh, rebrand herself of as very respectable. But the fact that uh, many voters of Eric Zemmour actually went back to her show that at the core, this far right block is, is very much the same uh, as it's always been uh, anti-social uh, and uh, reactionary and, and violently racist and xenophobic. So that's uh, the, 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 the second bloc, uh, political bloc. And then here we are, we are here, the new popular bloc, the progressive, the left, uh, and those three are pretty much the same side, which in itself is very, it's very, uh, Surprising because I, as I said, you had Macron who was in power and who had all the levels of the of the state uh, and all the power of the state uh, to 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 maintain his 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 dominance. You have the far right who's been there for uh, half a century now, and we managed to 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 grow uh, and to be ahead of the far right and to actually push. Um, Macron and and to be neck to neck during the this general election, we are neck to neck to the to to the to Macron's um, Macron's majority and uh, and when they win in some places, it's very close. Also, like uh, like when we 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 were against uh, we had candidates reigning against the far right, and between those three blocks, and I think now there's a there's a a competition of who will win the fourth block, which is a more invisible one, which is comprised of all the millions of people uh, who don't go to vote, who abstain from going to vote, but may be part of social movement like the youth uh, that, are, that have been uh, inside into the 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 climate change movement who've been active against police brutality and stuff like that and of course also uh, the working class people low income people uh, who, who who are part of this uh, of this block and now we are like in a situation of crisis institutional crisis because Macron won't be able to build a, a solid majority um, with a, a, a rising inequality, rising uh, cost of living, uh, economic crisis, with climate change up, happening uh, right now and people feeling the effects of that. And with the ruling class unable to, 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 to respond to that in a way that will benefit the majority of the people. So um, that's the, the, the challenge of the time. 
how we will be able to 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 strengthen our block, our popular block, and to win over the millions of people who objectively uh, will benefit for us taking power, who are um, more in common with us than with um, millions of over than they will have with the far right of the of the Macron's uh, right wing um, block, uh, and that's what is ahead of us, the, the task is ahead of us here right now is how we manage from the from where we are now in, in, inside the, 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 the National Assembly, being the main parliamentary opposition for to Macron, are we able to help build those social movements and connect with them in a way that, we, that will not only block Macron's uh, anti-social reforms, uh, but prevent him from you know um, from a, a crushing social movement, but also uh, and that's that may be ahead uh, force him to call for a new general election or just uh, anything that will that will uh, grip the system because now um, and I, I will end here. Really, we we entering a new era in France time of uncertainty and uh, in this moment everything is really possible for us and it is our task now to make that everything be uh, the other world that is really needed for the benefit of the people for the benefit of of the planet and um, we are stronger than ever right now to 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 manage and uh, to manage this and to and to succeed in this uh, in this new task well, thanks very much, Danielle. I mean, that was just amazing. I, and I can see that that the massive challenges ahead of you, but also the incredible resources and energy that you have on your side and the incredible vision that you have as La France Insoumise and pulling the left together. So if anyone can do it, it's you. <laughs> so uh, congratulations again. And so now um, over to uh, Chris Hazard, our next speaker. He's Sinn Féin MP for South Down since election in 2017, when he took the seat from the SDLP. So Chris, over to you. Yeah, thanks very much. Um, and a big thanks again and congratulations to Danielle as well. I think much of what we'll talk about tonight um, and that, I suppose, the positivity of international solidarity and I suppose the momentum that we all get from seeing successes and victories in other places and it helps with, them, uh, you know, your own particular struggle in your own country. And again, to see the, the results coming in from France was was amazing. So fair play, Danielle, and, and all the best. Um, I, I think, yeah, look, um, I, I'll touch upon a few things and, and then maybe in, in brief around the recent election in the north and then some of the central reasons, I believe, why the party's doing well and i think some of them maybe stand in contrast um to, to some other places where there's lessons to, to be learned and i suppose that's what we're we're here for this evening um yeah but in short look the, the february 2020 general election in the south of ireland was historic in that we became the most popular party um and then in the north there recently in may was the same we we, we won the most seats um, you know, we're now clearly the most popular party, North and South, and we're polling considerably ahead of the right-wing coalition in the South. 
uh, and again in the north we, we have the most seats. Now that has resulted in the political establishment, the wider establishment with the media, um, you know, concerted attacks to try and undermine that. They haven't been successful to date and if anything it's uh, it's even fed into a, a rise and again I, I think that leads into some of the the uh, attributes and, and some of the reasons why I think we're doing well, and I'll touch upon them at the minute. I think there's two key themes driving the, the success of late and the big political issues. In the North, there's no doubt it's been Brexit and a decade of Tory administration in London. Um, you know, if, if you take Brexit first and foremost, um, it was never compatible with our peace um, settlement, the Good Friday Agreement, the devolutionary settlement. Um, you know, it was going to Brexit was always going to bring back some form of trade frictions, hard border. Um, I think the likes of ourselves and the Irish government were highly successful with the European Union in making the case that that trade friction and border should not be on the island of Ireland. And what we're seeing is the results of a very weakened Tory administration in London not being able to deliver the type of results in the negotiation that maybe political unionism uh, and the British political system would have, an establishment would have wanted. Uh, and we're seeing again the strengthening of Irish sovereignty perhaps in recent decades uh, and their role and place within Europe. Um, and I suppose a real politique of that means that there, there, there won't be any hardening of the border on the island of Ireland. And, you know, at the end of the day, the realist position is there is going to be trade friction now in the RIC going forward. That has thrown the constitutional chips up into the air with regards to North. That has, you know, completely um, undermined our political settlement. We've had the collapse of Stormont now twice um, since Brexit. Um, and I think it's reawakened um, that sense of, you know, constitutional change in the North, certainly within the wider nationalist community. Um, I think there's a section of people who were perhaps sleeping or happy or content uh, with the devolutionary settlement. They were happy to partake in um, the institutions of the Good Friday Agreement and weren't really thinking about it. Brexit woke them up um, very clearly um, and they're now thinking about their futures uh, in an all-Ireland context. A decade of austerity as well has ripped the heart out of our public services in the north. Um, our black grant from London has been stripped away year on year. It's been really difficult to be able to deliver the type of public services that we want to do. And by and large, um, I think there's a, an understanding that that is a result of Tory policies in London um, and certainly not at the desire of any local political party. Um, in the south, it has been, I think, um, in the main, all on the back of the austerity imposed by the Troika, the European Union and the centre-right parties, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, um, since the financial crash. Um, you know, we have a massive housing crisis and we have an economy built in the interests of foreign capital uh, in the south of Ireland. Um, it is, it's built for Silicon Valley. It's built for the, the Microsoft and Apple and Googles of this world. It's not built for ordinary people uh, in Ireland. And I think what we're seeing in recent years is the wider population starting to say we need to see change. And they now view Sinn Féin as, as the vehicle of, of that change. Um, I, so I suppose then in looking at the particulars uh, around this, and I suppose the first would be, I, I think as a party and as a movement, we have recognised the radical contingency of the moment. Uh, I, I think some parties, especially of the left in some places, haven't done that to fail to do that. Um, you know, as I've alluded to already, you know, in the wake of the 2008 financial crash and that subsequent decade of austerity, 
you know, we're now seeing a deep crisis of the neoliberal capitalism in the Western world. Um, you know, it's led to an alienation between ordinary people, not just with democratic process, but democratic institutions, the media, um, you know, the government, parliament and every, everything else. That has led in some places to the rise of quite ugly and regressive movements. If you look at Trump and Bolsonaro, Orban and Modi, even Boris Johnson and Britain's been able to capitalise and capture those red wall constituencies. I think that growing disconnect, what they would have looked in on the political establishment is rather technocratic status quo political parties weren't looking to you know really fundamentally change people's lives. And I see what I think what you're seeing now is especially younger people, they're also recognizing that this is a time of great change, a time of great flux. Um, all certainties are gone. And I think those political movements that recognize this recognize that now is the time to put forward ideas to advocate great change, you know, be it with regards to building a fully democratic economy in the interests of people or dealing with climate change or whatever it might be. It's those people who are starting to put forward those ideas. Um, and I, I think in connection with their own principal values are, 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 are doing well. You know, and again, I think some of the international solidarity here has been key. So if you look at the great success of the farmers movement in India, the success of mass in Bolivia and being able to overturn a coup uh, within a year. If you look at the recent success of Petro even in, in uh, Colombia, and even I think, which gets little mentioned, but I think there's something worth watching here, the rebirth of the trade union movement in America, especially in New York and Manhattan. You know, there's things happening there. Um, and I think there's a younger generation starting again. Political economy and political education has been hugely important um, in making these people understand we're in a time of change. If you understand that, you understand that it's ideas that's going to win. Um, and I think Sinn Féin have certainly in Ireland um, understood that, I think, and that's been fundamental to our work pattern. I think then, in taking that as a given, the, one of the big things I think has been a hugely successful force in, in that environment has been the success of our leadership. Um, so in Mary Lou MacDonald, we have a charismatic, dynamic leader um, who has electrified our own party internally. She's grown her membership and she's provided the much needed antidote to the Tweedledee and Tweedledum centre-right politics of the Irish political establishment. Her media performances are hugely impressive. She never comes across scripted or aloof. She's always very well informed. She's sincere, she's genuine, and there's always hope of a better future comes through in all of her media uh, performances. I think that also extends to our senior party spokespeople. So if you take two of them, for example, in Owen O'Brien and Pierce Doherty, Owen who leads on housing, Pierce who leads on finance in the south of Ireland, they've become hugely popular opposition spokespersons. Indeed, in every poll that's done, they're much more popular than their respective ministerial counterparts. They seem much more informed on their briefs. Uh, and again, on those two issues in particular, both housing and the need to build a democratic economy, you know, they are the two main issues uh, in Ireland today. And they are very clearly seen, even in, amongst people who don't support Sinn Féin, uh, as the leading people to be able to, to take that forward. And again, I think there's something hugely important um, with regards to that type of leadership. I, I think then connected to that is that sense of sincerity and integrity in our struggle. So whether it's opposing water charges or opposing Ireland joining NATO of lately, um, standing up for Palestine or standing up for Cuba, people know exactly where we stand. We make no bones about who we are. 
we're guided by our core values. We're Republican, socialist, feminist, internationalist. That's who we are. We're not going to change them because a focus group or some internal polling tells us we should change them. Um, and I think you know, we were talking there earlier before about the huge success of the likes of Mick Lynch in recent days on the media. I think, again, there's a huge appetite amongst certainly ordinary working communities just for straight talking, for people not to be trying to play both sides of their mouth uh, and to be standing up for who they for who they are. Like if you're in Ireland today and you ask workers or hard pressed families the cost of living, you know who's on their side. They will they know who's on their side. I'm not so sure if that can be said. For example, in England uh, at the minute, and we've seen in recent days that you know the Labour Party leadership quiver on whether or not to support um, strikers. You know, and that's I think that's hugely important in the time ahead. You know, when we deal with issues such as you know democratizing our economy or dealing with climate change. You know, we have to be honest with people. You know, we have to stand for what we believe in. And again, I think that's hugely important. Um, I think finally then, one of the big things for me anyway, which is hugely important, we're a grassroots membership-led party. Uh, we're not a parliamentary party. So our local organization in every town and village are the driving force. It's not our parliamentary teams. You know, we don't set policy, for example. We, we, we follow the policy direction set by our membership every year in our dish. Um, so that deep embeddedness in our local communities, um, that connection with our local communities, that's what drives us forward. Um, again, two examples, I think, internationally, which I think shows a great success of this. Uh, I think if you look at Chile and Boric's recent um, victory, you know, if you compare his popularity between the first round of voting and the second round of voting, it was only when the Communist Party, the feminist movement and, and some of the indigenous activists came really involved in his campaign leading into the second round of voting that he really grew uh, support uh, in those working class communities. Uh, again, I think it shows the importance that it's OK. You know, social media and that world of the media is just a bubble uh, and you need to be embedded uh, again in your local communities. Um, and again, uh, the other example I've alluded to it already in, in this conversation is the likes of Bolivia and looking at mass, you know, the strength of their social movements and Cochabamba and everywhere else. And that came out of obviously the struggles around water in the years ahead of that. Political education is huge. Um, people understood, you know, ideas of power and the media uh, and they were able to defeat what, what was in, a, in all extensive purposes, a, a, the Western interventionist coup. They were able to overturn that within a year and re-elect. Uh, their leadership then into government. And that, again, I think that was hugely important. So uh, again, I would sum that up. Grassroots membership-led party, you know, that integrity and struggle, um, you know, a charismatic, dynamic leadership uh, and spokespeople who are well-informed, but, you know, not aloof and can talk to the ordinary communities. And I think the most important thing for me is that recognition of the radical contingency of the moment that we live in. You know, this isn't 1999. You know, things have changed dramatically. You know, online petitions aren't going to cut it anymore. People want to see us, you know, fighting and struggling on the streets. And that's the place that we're in. You have to have an idea for the future. And I'm delighted, certainly in our leadership and our, and our movement, that we certainly know what we want to do. We're about the liberation of our country. And um, it has been that way for many decades. And now, given some of the dynamics that at play, uh, we stand on the verge of being able to do that. Thanks very much. Thanks very much indeed, Chris. I mean, you've just <laughs> given us so many really 
key and concrete elements to think about and reflect on. And I, I really like the uh, the term radical contingency of the moment. You know, I mean, I think that really sums it up and it sums up the, the opportunities that are there, you know, and with the kind of integrity that you have as grassroots party embedded in the communities and taking them forward and the internationalism. I mean, thank you for bringing in the question, the experience of the Latin American left, you know, who having such a surge at the moment as well. So that's huge food for thought. And thank you very much for that contribution. And now, Thelma, over to you. Um, as I, I don't know if everyone was here at the start when I was uh, talking about the candidates, sorry, not the candidates, the, the, the participants in um, more detail. But um, Thelma was uh, the Labour Party Member of Parliament for Kong Valley from 2017 to 2019. So Thelma, over to you. Thanks, Kate. And uh, thanks, Danielle and Chris. Uh, just just wonderful listening to you. And uh, thank you for all you've done. Congratulations on your success. And you have given us hope uh, on the radical left. Um, certainly, you know, giving us hope and belief in the strength of an alliance. Um, and the change that, that can be brought about. And I, I was uh, lucky enough, Danielle, to be in France uh, the last 10 days before um, the election. And it, it was great for me to be there. And what it did, it confirmed my belief that we are, as socialists, an internationalist movement. Um, it's not about party politics. It, 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 we are a movement and we have to work together. Um, alliances, yes, in our own countries, but across borders. And um, I, I, we were in La Rochelle tour and Paris. We were in Paris the night of the election. It was so exciting. I'm sure not as exciting as for you, but certainly exciting for us. Um, and I met in La Rochelle, Aline Guibordeau, forgive my rusty French, uh, and Jean-Marc Souvest. And they were out and about and they were talking um, to local people about the important issues to them. And, and typically as socialists, they were there outside the market hall and uh, engaging with the public. And, and it, it was just amazing. And the conversations that I had while I was in France um, were, were made me realise that the, the main issues that people are facing in France are just the same. Uh, or many are the same as in as in the UK. And it's already been referred to the growth of, of, of the far right. And obviously we've seen that with, with Le Pen and, and the seats that sadly um, she has managed um, to win. But that racism and bigotry um, that comes from that and dividing communities, that's, that's what they're about. And we know that, but same in the UK, the same. Uh, climate change emergency and the anxiety and threat to our very existence and our planet. Um, the cost of greed crisis, <laughs> I call it, not the cost of living crisis, and the failure of capitalism. That, that's what we're seeing at the moment, all around us. That's what we're seeing. Um, but, but most of all, at the moment, and we're seeing it with the Human Rights Bill going through um, Parliament this week, um, threatening our very democracy and, and freedom. And I think that, you know, is, is common um, in France. Again, this threat to people's uh, freedom and democracy. 
Um, but also being in France um, highlighted for me the similarities when I was MP um, in 2019 to the general election then, uh, and when I was parliamentary private secretary to John McDonnell, um, it, Jeremy Corbyn's campaign, the Labour campaign in 2019, and the manifesto that we, we stood on was all about a vision for the future. It was all about um, young people and the issues for them. Um, and what they, the challenges they were facing. And that manifesto, I, you know, we, we believed in so much, so much work had, had gone into that. But where I saw the similarities with Melanchon and uh, Newp um, was, was that vision for the future for young people. And uh, again, my rusty French, I could pick up from Melanchon's um, speeches. Um, that he was focusing, Newp were focusing uh, on the vision for the future and young people. And it was, it was, it was really, really similar. Um, and it, it, it warmed my heart really to see that, uh, the similarity between the, the approach and the, and the priorities, I think. And, the, and those young people's issues seem to me to be the same in France and, and across the world, really, but insecure work. Um, unaffordable housing, anxiety for the future of the planet, and, and a desire with many young people and, and society in general for peace and an end to this warmongering that's going on at the moment. And, and, and that's why, for me, um, what Sinn Féin and, and UP have achieved with active working alliances and, and moving forward on social reform um, and, and this shared policy platform with an alliance gives organisations like our People's Alliance of the Left or PAL as we know, that's what's giving us hope because I should explain perhaps a bit more about PAL and, and, and what we are. We're just a, a small, quite informal organisation. We're not a political party, um, but, but we're made up of the small left political parties, um, left media um, platform hosts, uh, campaigners on and activists on health, uh, environment, anti-war campaign, uh, social justice campaigns and Black Lives Matter. But we've also just recently, they've joined us, our uh, former Labour councillors who have either been chucked out by Labour uh, for voicing dissent uh, or have been suspended and are now standing as either independents or form their own group. And they have joined us um, and, and formed this new group. We've also now recently got uh, green uh, members of the Green Socialist Alliance as well. So our informal group, and we're nowhere near where you are, <laughs> Chris and Danielle, but, but we there's that political vacuum being there and, and that rejection of the two major parties. And so we're, we're coming together in mutual support and solidarity. And we're grassroots, uh, Chris mentioned this grassroots campaigning. And that's what most of us are involved in. But along with that, there's a smaller group, which isn't, it isn't specifically PAL, but the smaller political parties. I've got a memorandum of understanding together uh, to work on a, a, a kind of a, a, 
electoral uh, strategy, um, as it were, um, and, and to plan um, a strategy for the future to stand in, in elections. And it, 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 it's early days and there are differences sometimes amongst us. And I wouldn't mind asking you later, I'm sure the question will come up of how that alliance is, is working, uh, certainly uh, for Newp and, um, and how you overcome those. I'd love to some advice from you on how, how you overcome those divisions and uh, which sometimes can seem insurmountable really. Um, but, but you prove it, it, it can be done. Um, and, and, and just Newpy are going to become, I know, a really strong vocal opposition. And we're so in our country lacking that strong vocal opposition. We're seeing it. it, it was mentioned, Chris mentioned it with what's happening with the RMT strike at the moment. Where are where is the Labour leader? You know, where where is his voice standing up? The clue is in the title Labour Party, but, but where is he speaking up for working people? You know, so that is, we're so lacking that. Um, what did interest me, though, with the um, new alliance was that um, there was, um, correct me if I'm wrong, Danielle, there was a various and miscellaneous left that weren't part of, of new. Um, and, and that interested me that, you know, sometimes we do we have to admit that not everybody is going to be want to be part of that alliance. And I think it's that you know, certainly in our country, we have that history of the fractured left, as it were, and the splintered left. And um, do we have to accept that some some issues can't be resolved? I don't know. But anyway, how, how do I see um, the challenges and opportunities for, for our, our PAL or any left alliance in the UK? Well, I think... One thing that's been touched on, um, I think for, for certainly in, in France and, and the UK, is to put it bluntly, the undermining from centrists, um, which um, I saw in France, some of the same tactics being used by Macron supporters and, uh, and the French uh, neoliberal, neoliberal supporting media, who tried to minimize um, the support for Melanchon and Newp. Um, sometimes biased by mission, they have all these strategies, don't they? You know, of, of you could see the success, you could see um, the speeches he was making, the crowds in the room, the support that was there. But, but you could see also the um, centrist kind of um, dissing it almost, you know, like it's not important, you know, what he's saying, nobody's really listening to it, that kind of thing. But but I saw that happen with Jeremy Corbyn and, and that popularity, the polls were taken of how popular the manifesto policies were. Um, and 70 odd percent, I think it was, of the population at the time was saying in 19 that those policies, which weren't really radical, I mean, people were saying in throwing Marxists at it, etc. Um, it, it was democratic socialism, you know, um, and, uh, you know, it, it's just um, it's just interesting to see the same strategies being used in France to undermine the left and to undermine the power of the messaging. Um, and Chris mentioned, um, which I thought was so being values led and principles led is powerful. And I think that's why um, RMT are cutting through there because you can see 
their principles are not for sale. And, um, and I, think, I think that's really important. Um, but what is interesting as well with the centrists um, is the centrists in the UK in 19, many of them did not campaign for um, a Labour, um, a Corbyn-led uh, government. They wouldn't. Some of them even campaigned for the Liberals and voted for the Liberals. Um, and the same with the Macron supporters. They prefer to abstain. You mentioned this, Danielle, but they prefer to abstain and let a far right person get in um, than, than vote uh, for a new candidate. Uh, but unlike the Melanchon and new P candidates who did vote for a Macron candidate rather than let the far right get in. Yet how do the media spin it? They spin it that it's the far left that have allowed Le Pen to win so many seats. Um, the same things are happening in the UK at the moment where people like myself who are critical of the Labour leadership are, are described as Tory enablers. So the people like myself, I mean, I resigned from the Labour Party, but the people who've been chucked out of the Labour Party, the people, the people who have been groups who've been prescribed, etc., um, they now are saying, but you still need to vote Labour or you're a Tory enabler. And it's just, it is so frustrating. But anyway, to be more positive, the hope I have. Um, is through grassroots activism and the younger generation who don't respect mainstream media and have minds and opinions of their own. Um, and, and after all, they're, they're the ones that are inheriting the mess. Uh, you know, student debt, environmental disaster, unaffordable housing, insecure work. The younger are living through the consequences of the cost of greed and the failure of capitalism, as I mentioned before. But I honestly believe that many young people, they are, they are the answer, both here, France, across the world. They're sick of party politics. Uh, they're sick of spin and sound bites. Uh, they're tired of over-centralization and control from Westminster and the two-party system. Many of them are anti-war. Many of them are furious about Brexit and loss of their freedom to travel and study in Europe. And the consequences of the neoliberal agenda and capitalism and greed are being faced by so many young people. So alliances of like-minded activists, that is the way forward in my opinion. Strong union voices as well, led by authentic, brave union leaders, like we're seeing with Mick Lynch at the moment. Um, and Sharon Graham of Unite as well, a strong voice there. And this is what will deliver, in my opinion, social, economic, political, and environmental change. But what we got in our country at the moment, and this is what any alliance is fighting against, we, we've got a country with a government who cares nothing about breaking the ministerial code, proroguing parliament, a government which celebrates the opening of food banks with no hint of irony. And there was photographs everywhere of them cutting the ribbon, opening a food bank without any, any self-awareness at all, just absolutely disgusting. We've got increasing child poverty, in-work poverty, 
and homelessness. Corruption's running deep through our government with no viable opposition from Labour. It's a government who, who certainly puts puts profit always before people of the country. So collective action, strike action, happening right now, and I believe is gonna spread. And it's ordinary people who can bring about change. So we've got teachers, I'm a former teacher and head teacher, and when teachers say they are gonna strike, it's gotta be bad. And I think the fact that we've now got teachers, nurses, barristers, uh, Heathrow staff now uh, balloting for strike action, people have had enough. And there is reference to uh, South America. People across South America are choosing socialist leaders. They're choosing socialism. I'm wrapping up now, Kate, I'm nearly finishing. So we've got this in parts of Europe too, and we want a country that's being run for the people who live in it and for their well-being. That's the important thing. But Danielle mentioned this. We also need to engage with those people who are choosing not to use their vote because we cannot have a democracy if we're having such low turnout. We're having low turnouts at by-elections in our country at the moment, as low as 30 odd percent. We've got to engage and speak to those people, especially young people who do not have a voice. We've got to get them out there and using their vote and using their voices. So we need to build that socialist vision. We need to have an alternative together we need to believe in that alternative and we need to have the flame of anger, but the flame of hope too, and to build a better world. Solidarity. Thanks very much, Thelma. Yeah, that's good inspiring ring at the end there. <laughs> right. So now we have some time for questions and contributions. Please um, indicate that you wish to do one or the other by putting your hand up electronically, go to the reactions uh, thing at the bottom and um, click on the yellow raise hand. So while I'm waiting for people to work out what they want to say, I'm going to throw one of those questions in, um, in myself, which is uh, touched on by Thelma. So with NUPES, Danielle, um, bringing those different organisations together. Some of them have been, you know, fighting, not fighting each other electorally, but, you know, having those kind of, well, yeah, fighting each other electorally, maybe for quite some time. Just tell us very briefly how it was possible to pull that alliance together and maintain the unity. All right, about um, the alliance, I think the people did it when they went to vote for <clears throat> Jean-Luc Mélenchon. As you said, during the presidential election, there were four to five presidential candidates from our side. There was Jean-Luc Mélenchon for uh, La France Insoumise and the Popular Union. That was the platform we built to support the candidacy of Jean-Luc Mélenchon. There were uh, Yannick Jadot, who was the candidate for the Green Party, who got 5%, around 5% of the votes. There was um, um, Anne Hidalgo, who is uh, uh, the, the mayor of Paris, 
uh, and she's more on the right wing of the Socialist Party. And then there was um, uh, uh, Fabien Roussel, who, who is the general secretary of the Communist Party. Uh, both Annie Hidalgo got 22% of the vote, which was an historical low for the Socialist Party. And uh, then Fabien Roussel got even lower, around the same. And you had also um, uh, Philippe Poutou, who was the candidate for the uh, new anti-capitalist party, which is more the far left. So you see that we were divided at the, 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 the first round of the presidential election. But the fact that the people went to vote for Jean-Luc Mélenchon, and we really campaigned, uh, trying to reach out, especially, as been said, the young people uh, voted uh, for, for Jean-Luc Mélenchon because of our platform and because he was the one actually calling to them to go to vote and uh, and taking their concerns seriously and then so that that's the the result of the of the of the election that forced uh everyone and especially the green party but also the actual leader of the socialist party olivier four <coughs> who realized that they were wrong, actually. They've been wrong over the past five years because they never um, did a break from uh, François Hollande era, because François Hollande used to be uh, president at the time with Macron, uh, and they never actually made um, a clean break from that. They never uh, actually realized that social liberalism uh, was a way toward, you know, decline, and that's actually what happened. So, um, the fact that the conjunction of the results of the first round of the presidential election, uh, and also their very bad results, and uh, and the fact that we actually uh, made a call to to join us, and and we're ready, and we actually we had to convince a lot of people that it was possible, and uh, that was mentioned earlier. The fact that the the, the new anti-capitalist party, uh, the, 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 the far left uh, organization, finally didn't join. At first, we were in talk, in talks with them, but they didn't join because the, the, the socialist party was, uh, was part of the agreement, but they actually supported. They weren't part of it, but they actually supported uh, most of our candidates and saying like, we support, and they, 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 they actually called uh, to vote for us. Um, so it's like, uh, it, it's actually pretty historical that even though they weren't part of it, they actually supported our alliances. So I would say that it's, it's actually <clears throat> leadership, Jean-Luc Mélenchon leadership and the way he was able to rise above, uh, especially after the first round of the presidential election, because a lot of people felt angry against those other candidates because we actually missed the second round of the election for not that much and uh and uh, we, we we because we were not united at the time uh especially because the communist party leaders decided to do his own campaign we missed the the first the the the, the second one by by those actually numbers so there was um, a need to rise above that and actually um uh propose some disagreement and that's uh, that's what happened, and and everybody realized that was the only way uh, to 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 rebuild themselves. Also, there may be some opportunistic uh, um, side of it, but also it shows the strength of the of the of the popular movement 
and um, and I would say that that's the what will keep us together at the end of the day because uh, everybody will have to answer it to the people if they um, decided to to break the 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 the, the coalition. Uh, people are really invested in that. They they are saying that really we don't care about you know whether you are socialist party or uh, any other name uh, party. What we voted for is the new popular union. So I think the pressure from the people uh, will help keep us together, but also the commitment to our platform because that's what uh, we didn't talk about just winning the election. We talk about how we would rule this country and the political platform. Uh, and I think those are the two. Um, the, our strength is the, that political platform and the, to keep people putting pressure on, on, on leadership and, 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 and asking them to, to, to be true to their commitment to the, the coalition. Thanks very much indeed. That uh, helps me understand that really good. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so I'm going to take the uh, questions and comments in a row, and then I will ask the speakers to come back and answer or comment on any element of those that they want at the end. So I'm going to take you in the order you put your hand up and anyone else who wants to contribute, you know, put your hand up now and I'll, I'll take you and when I get to. So, uh, Nick Jones, over to you first. Hi, thank you. Um, I'm a French teacher, so I've been studying the, the far right in France for decades, really. And one of the things that I've always noticed is that the, the Front National used to let the mask slip. And sometimes it was deliberate. And you would see skinheads sometimes at rallies. And I know I followed very much the way the media presented uh, Marine Le Pen as this woman whose family life and she was given a this they talked about uh, her making her image soft when actually i felt the media made her soft and the media presented her as a very electable strong powerful woman leader and i wondered uh, particularly from danielle are there any cases where the mask has slipped and they have said things because we don't see the marches like they used to have with the skinheads and and the things that used to shock and horrify Europe, you know, the people in Europe, that's what we would see and be worried by that. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the true rassemblement, uh, what's going on beneath them. And a question for Chris is similar. We're getting in, in, in our news, which is the Tory government must act because the unionist community being ra radicalised by the protocol. And unless they act, it's going to cause another breakdown in relations in, in Northern Ireland. And I wonder what's really happening with unionists, because... The economy isn't as bad as it is over Britain. And are people changing the views about uh, even the chance of a United Ireland? So they're the two questions. Thank you. Thanks very much, Nick. Um, David Landau, over to you. Hi. Um, first, just, just to say wonderful, very inspiring uh, talks from all three of you. Very exciting and very interesting and stimulating. A couple of questions, really, um, similar to what Nick's asking, slight, slightly different angle. One is you, you will appreciate that in this country and over the last few weeks, the question of immigration has been right at the top of the political agenda with all this plan, the Rwanda plan and the, um, the national and 
uh, the Nationality and Borders Act that's just come in. And so my question, mainly to Danielle, is how, to what extent uh, immigration is playing in, it and has been in play, playing over the last period. Um, and uh, obviously this is an issue which uh, Le Pen will try and build on. But to what extent has there been any success in that success in that direction? Because we've seen here a polarisation. I think Johnson and Patel and people thought that that their policies would be immensely popular, and they do have support, considerable worrying support. But at the same time, there's been massive reaction to it and saying, "Hey, this is right, this is right out of order." Um, so that's the question: How's that playing been playing in France? And um, and, uh, and 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 yeah. Um, the other one really is is to Chris, which is about um, the south of Ireland, really, and um, the, some one of the factors as I see it from a distance um, as being important in terms of changing the game in relation to um, to United Ireland. Um, one factor, obviously, is the centrifugal behaviour of the British government with Brexit and everything else. But the other that I've seen, and I want to know how important this is, is the way in which the South has actually become a kind of beacon of, um, beacon of progress and, and, and liberalism um, in, in, in the entire region. Um, and so, you know, with the things on gay marriage, with things on, on, on sexuality and, 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 and so on, and, and, and abortion, really big one uh so how much is that playing towards um a dynamic towards a united island which would bring people together and i suppose my last question to chris is as the unionists see see all these factors that things are slipping away from their control um is there a danger of the loyalists taking up arms again and trying to uh in in uh to, to as, as they see these things slipping away. Thanks very much, David. Joseph Healy, over to you. Hello, Chris. I'm an Irish citizen myself. I think we've met on one or two occasions before, part of the massive Irish diaspora here. But it's interesting that people mention the union leaders, Mick Lynch and Sharon Graham. And I'm sure you're aware both of them are second generation Irish. And in fact, there was a wonderful moment last night. I'm sure you've seen it where Mick Lynch was asked who his political hero was and said James Connolly and then there was a look of shock from the interviewer and he said do you know who James Connolly was and he had to actually explain who James Connolly was but I think that was wonderful to see James Connolly on the Peston show of all places um, but I suppose my question to you Chris is about the protocol and I've, be, I've long been of the opinion that the failing Tory government needs you know to pull a white rabbit out of a hat and the need to be seen to throw red meat to their Brexit base. I think this is part of the thing what's going on with the protocol. What danger is there that they're going to go full, you know, full steam ahead and actually provoke a trade war with the EU, which is what I, you know, would allow Johnson then to masquerade as some sort of national hero. Um, the other question to Danielle was um, the rise of the far right in France, Danielle, is... You know, there's, there, if there's an equivalent left international movement, there's also an equivalent right one. 
And we've seen, I mean, I think it was Chris mentioned that Johnson, you know, Johnson has very close links with Orban. Um, Le Pen works very closely with, with that bloc in the European Parliament and so on. To what extent do you feel that within Europe you can counteract um, those forces which are, you know, right across the continent? Mm-hmm. And then finally, just to Thelma, I think there was an interesting thing Danielle talked about, which is when some of the French voters who voted for, uh, voted for Mélenchon didn't vote because they felt disappointed. Uh, isn't that really what's happened with Corbyn, as the many of the young people who voted for Corbyn now feel politically homeless and disillusioned? Thanks very much, Joseph. And then we've got two more questions, and then I'm going to go back to the speakers um, so we can finish by our allotted end time of 8.30. Harry Rogers, over to you. Yeah, my my question is um, for Chris in particular, but I would like a comment from all three speakers on it. And this is a question about trade union solidarity across across borders. Uh, it's interesting to see Sinn Féin doing so well in both the north and the south of Ireland. Uh, I wonder uh, if you could give us some insight into the links between the trade union movement, north and south of the border, and also whether there are um, strong international links being made by trade unionists in all three of the countries that are represented there tonight. Thanks very much, Harry. And then final question from Len Arthur. Len, over to you. Yeah, uh, hi there. A fascinating meeting. Thank you very much, all three speakers. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure to actually come tonight. Um, the, 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 uh, I'm in Wales, um, just outside Cardiff, and I'm Secretary of Left Unity Wales. Um, just to so I've got three questions really, which I'll put very quickly. Um, that uh, uh, to, to uh, Danielle really, um, I found um, the result of the right, uh, as as I'm sure you did, frightening and shocking. Um, and uh, I was just uh, wanted, and I'm really uh, keen to know um, and support um, what strategies you're going to employ to roll back that level of support. So. So that, that's that. That's that question. Um, being in Wales um, and arguing, uh, we're a Republican organisation. Um, uh, we support Welsh independence, um, and uh, we constantly have to battle with the idea of being internationalists, but at the same time supporting the um, uh, the question of independence. And um, I was just wondering, um, Chris, because I meant I know when you spoke, you mentioned. And emphasise the point that Sinn Féin is an internationalist organisation. Is that how do you how do you find um, you cope with that with that with that argument? Um, and then um, and to Thelma really um, is really um, again um, the role of the radical left. Uh, as you quite rightly said, we're quite small, and uh, we really are trying to pull things together. Um, I despair when I see what I call um, left jamborees going on around the country um, with, uh, you know, um, a rise and so on and so forth, all very earnest, very meaningful, um, and uh, all saying good stuff, um, but all pointing to say, stay in the Labour Party. Um, and uh, and I do find, and I just think, well, why is that energy 
is all being wasted in a complete cul-de-sac. Um, and, uh, and so how um, do we start to, um, uh, you know, uh, how do we start to oppose that and, um, and, uh, and, and put a radical left alternative to um, just hanging in there, which is what I think a lot of people are doing. So anyway, those are my three questions, really. Thanks Thank very much indeed, Len. That's brilliant. Okay, so back to our speakers now. I'll take you in the same order as before. So, Danielle, would you like to start off there, please? Muted. Sorry, can you hear me now? Yep. All right. So, um, first of all, maybe starting with the question about immigration. The, the, what is very telling of the situation now and what uh, very dangerous game Macron's been playing over the past five years is that um, my Le Pen didn't really need uh, anything to do anything, to say anything, because uh, Macron and his government and especially his interior minister uh, had been actually doing a work over the past five years. Uh, they started five years ago, right after being elected, one of the first uh, bill his government um, passed and his majority passed was about uh, immigration. It was one of the worst anti-immigrant uh, legislation that was uh, opposed by all national and international NGOs. And they've been demonizing um, immigrants uh, throughout the, 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 the last five years. And um, I think what we managed to do, especially with our campaign, presidential campaign and Jean-Luc Mélenchon is actually uh, prevent those uh, topics to take center stage because of the dynamic we built during the, the presidential election. So um, we put center stage, social issues, especially climate issues. And I think we managed to not um, to polarize around those issues that unite people rather than oppose. But of course, that was not enough uh, for the, the time we've been that to uh, fight back against the past five years of, of uh, xenophobic policies and anti-migrant policies, especially, and I, I get to the, uh, the the first question. I think about the 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 true face of the the far right and the the what has happened actually is that, as I said, uh, Macron did all the dirty the dirty work for for Le Pen. She was like pretty much invisible at the at the national assembly. She had been elected in two thousand and seventeen, and she 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 didn't do anything. She didn't play any any role in in opposing Macron uh, inside the National Assembly. So what happened is that she managed to get uh, rebranded of this, you know, uh, conservative right wing leader. That was her main strategy. But at the same time, that created tension within her, her, her ranks, and especially she got challenged by. I, I talk about Eric Zemmour, who was. Um, Candidate, he used to be uh, uh, not a journalist, but uh, he used to be on a, on on a, on a, on TV, and um, 
and he, he actually challenged Marie Le Pen with with uh, getting back to the hardcore right wing and skinned kind of um, politics, very xenophobic, openly xenophobic and homophobic, and yeah, he, he was a caricature of the worst. Um, and in a in a way that made Marine Le Pen looked even more moderate uh, than 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 that. Um, but at the end of the day, he didn't manage to. Uh, to do such a good result because it also mobilized a lot of people, especially people targeted by his aid trade, uh, Muslim people who he actually, Muslim and actually uh, migrants, uh, people that were the targets of his constant hateful uh, speeches during the presidential election. So um, I think that uh, made Marine Le Pen looked uh, even more moderate, and and uh, but it also showed that the far right um, was at its core. Uh, the, the the real face of the far right is more Eric Zemmour than the way the media portrayed uh, Marine Le Pen. Um, and I think one of the also one of the um, Jean-Luc Mélenchon during the presidential election was the, the actually the only one was the first to say stop to what was happening with Eric Zemmour. He confronted him on TV and he, he very famously um, actually uh, opposed him. And a lot of people, especially uh, people of uh, immigrant background, uh, young people were very impressed by that. And I think that's maybe uh, the, um, one of the, the key to, to, to answer uh, the, the last question about, and I think if I understood well about um, the rise of the far right in Europe and uh, how do we build alliance, I think we, we, we need to have a clear strategy of, of how we rebuild an anti-fascist movement in France, because I, I think what is very frightening, uh, kind of frightening, is the way the far right has been normalized. Now there are 89 of them in the National Assembly and everybody is okay with that. And uh, and now it's 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 normal to have them in power in, in uh, and and even get you know accolades and stuff like that. And so we 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 need to build uh, rebuild an anti-racist and anti-fascist movement. Uh, the, I think that's the main task. And we had uh, a, a powerful force to do that. And it's young people. We've been mobilized. We managed to mobilize them during the presidential elections. They voted a lot of them voted for uh, Jean-Luc Mélenchon, and they've been mobilized against, as I said, police brutality. They've been mobilized uh, around climate, climate change issues. And I think that's one of the main things that uh, we, we need to do and connect those movements um, internationally because of what has been happening in Europe also with the rise of the far right in Europe and in all, uh, and, and also the solidarity movement like the climate change movement is an internationalist movement. And that, uh, I think that's one of the, 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 the way forward uh, to uh, oppose and fight back and then defeat the power because that's, uh, as we said, and Jean-Luc Mélenchon usually said that at the end of the day, the fight would be between them and us uh, because mm -hmm. centuries uh, I've, I've already uh, lost the battle. They already are talking like the far right, they are implementing part of their program. So at the end of the day, we will be the, the last one to oppose and, uh, and fight against the far right. And, and hopefully, and, and that's the goal is to defeat them. Uh, so um, 
and we have uh, the power of, of the people and we've seen when we are able to reach out to the young people, to working class people, we really can make a difference and, and we really can make great dynamics. So that's what we are going to build um, onward and, and we'll make sure to oppose Macron, uh, to oppose the far right and showing how useless they are, uh, but only for, Focusing on 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 Muslim and, and migrants and, and stuff like that, uh, and um, and mobilize uh, the people to get together and and fight and vote and fight and vote for uh, their best interest, which is for our our, our platform. Thanks very much, Danielle. Brilliant, Chris. Over to you for your concluding remarks. Thanks, Kate. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll run through the questions. Uh, Nick, first. Um, yeah, look, um, the northern state was created um, purposely so that the type of result that we've seen in May never happened. Um, you know, it was crafted to ensure, a, you know, in a, a majority of unionist political uh, domination that has been spiced in, in recent years. So, for example, the, a majority of MPs now return to Westminster are non-unionist. The major, the unionists have lost their majority in the Assembly. Um, we now have more people in the north applying for Irish passports than British passports. Um, you know, we have the census results coming out later this year, which will, in all likelihood, indicate that that majority, that Protestant majority, uh, is no longer there now. Each of them, I think, paint a picture that shows you the insecurity that has uh, moved into the political unionist psyche uh, in, in recent years. Brexit, I think, has been a huge catalyst in, in some of that. Um, and there's no doubt um, that that has now led, especially the likes of the Democratic Unionist Party, um, to consider whether it's actually more beneficial to their own narrow political agenda to just get rid of Stormont uh, and deal simply with Westminster than, than it is to, to do that. Um, I, I think it probably uh, mirrors the end days of apartheid South Africa when some within that political family would have understood that change was coming and you have to work with change and everything else, whereas others would have simply said, no, never, not on my time, and I don't want to accept it. And I think in some regards, we're, we're looking at something like that. Local economy is doing very well with regards to the protocol. The protocol is, is working to a large extent. Um, all Ireland trade is really booming. Uh, our manufacturing industry here in the north of Ireland, which has forever lagged behind um, productivity levels in Britain, is now outpacing manufacturing in Britain, which is remarkable to consider that. Uh, and in tandem with all of that, then you asked about support for United Ireland. Polls have it by and large in and around somewhere in the region of, you know, early 40 to 45 percent. Um, and the debate hasn't even started. You know, we haven't even looked at the debate. If you can compare that, for example, to the debate on Scottish independence, you know, in, in 2012, before the agreement was made with the Scottish government around having its support for Scottish independence, was sitting around 20%. Um, so those of us who aspire for constitutional change here in the North are fairly confident that once we start to have that debate, once the Irish government become involved in that debate and start to see some of the, the information and what it would look like, um, you know, we're fairly confident. And that leads me into David's question then about how the South has changed. And that has been one of the big um, growth factors, I think, for, for many people who might not consider themselves 
in either camp, maybe those who are maybe liberal or at central, at growth of the centre ground, which you hear quite a lot about uh, in recent times, the liberalisation, secularisation of Irish society, whether that's through the marriage equality referendums, the abortion referendum, the fact that we've had in Leo Varadkar, um, you know, a Taoiseach um, who's gay, um, Indian um, descent, um, you know, maybe 20 years ago, that wouldn't have been thought highly likely in Dublin. It shows you that Irish society is opening up very, very fast. You know, we've had citizen assemblies now on a wide range of uh, issues. And, you know, it is very much seen now as a European society that's open and pluralist. And and the, the, the growth in that, I think, is is leading people in the north to, to look. And it's no longer where once they would have feared Rome rule when it came to Dublin. They don't see that uh, at all. Um, Joseph, your point, yeah, absolutely. The Tory government are moving now to second reading on Monday with regards to their their, their bill. Um, I have no doubt, having been in briefings with Liz Truss, um, that they would prefer not to go forward. They, they, I think they want to have a negotiated settlement. She's very keen to stress that. I think they understand what they're doing is probably illegal. Um, that they won't get away with it, that it would start the type of trade war um, that they don't want to have. Um, so I would hope that this is um, gamesmanship. And, and as we've seen before, that has always inevitably ended up with the DUP being thrown under a bus and, and is always returning back to the same place because this is negotiations have been painstaking now for six years. You know, people understand that with trade friction, there has to be some sort of trade barrier. We can't just wish this away. And very often, those who champion Brexit at the extremes there in those parties have never come to terms with that reality. They still chase fantasies around how they're able to police this border, etc. And they have never fully understood the, the practicalities of that. Um, and I think one of the big driving forces behind, especially Liz Truss and others, is because they want to diverge quite substantially from EU regulations and they understand if you consider the importation of foods, etc. Um, and they understand that the protocol and that trade friction in the north is going to expose that dramatically. Um, so they want to remove that as much as possible. Plus, I think in a basic level too, the, the protocol is working, Brexit isn't working, and it's showing it up for the disaster that's been. You know, the British export economy has fallen off a cliff. With you know, again, when you look at what's happening in the north, it, it's going quite well. Um, and you know, so I think some of that um, comes into play there. So we'll have to wait and see over the next few months uh, where that goes. Harry, you asked about the, the trade unions. By and large, our trade unions are on an all-island basis. They're cross-border. Uh, the Irish Council of Trade Unions like, do uh, would take a lead. Um, but there's a couple of dynamics that has blunted the Irish trade union movement in recent decades. First and foremost, because of the conflict in Ireland, by and large, trade unions became quite apolitical in, in that sense, um, very much concerned on terms and conditions of, um, of their workers and members. Um, and perhaps the political edge has been blunted by that. Now it's slowly changing, but that, that has always um, been there for and I give an example of that in recent years whenever we led the charge against Tory welfare cuts um, in, in the north you know it, at, at times where you would have thought the trade union movement would have been you know standing side by side to, to challenge that down there was a concern that it was because it was one particular party in the north leading that that they felt uncomfortable um, and some of their members felt uncomfortable but that, that's slowly changing the second dynamic which has blunted the Irish trade union movement in general has been the disaster of social partnership. 
um, we we seen um, pre the the financial crisis. That's why, for example, you see the Irish Labour Party in the south um, poll so miserably. They're not seen as the champions of uh, workers at all. Um, they have been absolutely devastated and tainted by their record in government and through austerity. Uh, and the, the trade union leadership and membership during that time, I think, was also damaged because of that. But yes, by and large, All-Ireland, that legacy of Connolly and Larkin has always been remained strong, that they're better to be based in Ireland uh, and not across the islands. Although there is there, there is great work takes place and there, there's still a membership. And then, Leanne, you asked about the, the international stuff. Um, I suppose, without going into... Lenin's war and the the, uh, the great Russian chauvinism and the, the right of small nations to self-determination. Our cause has very much always been based on the liberation of the Irish people, um, breaking free from that domination of the oppressor nation and the, 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 the bigger power, the political, economic and social power, which has been the, the British political establishment. So first and foremost, that's, that's what we're about. But we understand that through our international contacts and solidarity and fraternal bonds with organisations and similar anti-colonial struggles, that we have much to learn, that we have much to give and momentum. And um, as I said, fraternal relationships have always been, been key to what we've done. Thanks very much indeed, Chris. And then Thelma, over to you for the final word. Unmute, unmute. Okay, sorry about that. Uh, Joseph, um, you referred to um, disillusioned, people being disillusioned, having voted for Corbyn, and there's now this political vacuum. Um, I think that I would say that it's never, never was from 15 to 19 just about Jeremy Corbyn. Um, and when I was called a, a Corbynista, I used to kind of resent it because it wasn't just about Jeremy. Obviously, he inspired, he motivated. But I mentioned the manifesto when I was speaking earlier, and it was that vision and, and those policies for um, a radical uh, socialist government um, and a different kind of society and a different way of doing politics that engage with people. And yes, there is such disappointment from so many people. But what really frightened the establishment and still does is that vision has been seen by people and can't be unseen. And I think that they're still talking about Jeremy. They're still talking about those policies. In the chamber in Westminster, he's referred to and, and often smeared, often uh, criticized. Well, they're still talking about him and of course we've now got the peace and justice project as well um and that is a is a, a movement in itself or part of the movement in itself and so what's been seen won't go away but i would say it was for me it was and for others it was never just about jeremy even though he did inspire and so i think that that is what is still frightening centrists in particular at the moment and the establishment that there's a there's a sea of change a mood of change i think in our country not just our country but people are waking up and people now know that they they can change things and together we can change things so 
it's not going away. That vision isn't going away. And that's what gives me hope. And that's what on a personal level keeps me going. So thank, thanks for the question, Joseph. Um, Harry, you, the trade union solidarity. Well, yeah, I'm glad the trade unions are taking action and leading strike action. I'm glad it's happening. What I would say is I have over the past couple of years been disappointed with the lack of leadership from some of our um, trade union leaders of some of our um, larger unions. Um, I've been impressed with some of the smaller unions like um, the Baker's Union who've disaffiliated, those unions who've withdrawn funding um, from Labour. We needed it to happen sooner and we needed a, more of a challenge to Labour. But it's, you know, it's a, a work struggle. And, and I would expect our union leaders to step up as the RMT are doing. Um, and I just think it's taken too long. But what I am pleased is about, there's been more inquiries about joining a union over this last week than there's been for, um, for several years. So I think, as I say, people are really waking up. Um, Len, um, you were talking about your frustration and I share your pain, Len, with these jamborees for labour and uh, well-intentioned. And actually, I have to say, it's really painful for me because some of the people that are involved in these are people who are good comrades of mine and I work with them and sat on the green benches with them. And, and I see them, you know, trying to get engagement with these new projects and, um, and, and new online sometimes um, campaigns. And I would say we don't oppose them on the radical left and what we're doing with our alliance. We let them get on with it because as soon as they mention Labour, you, you described it, Len, as a cul-de-sac. And it, it, it's absolutely right to describe it as that because as soon as anybody uh, on the left hears, oh, it's, it's Labour, knowing what the leadership is like at the moment, knowing how they are not standing by... Um, working people at this in the strike action, etc., knowing that they're abstaining on human rights bills, you know, all of those things um, that it's not going to work. Um, and uh, it's hard for me to see good friends and comrades trying to lead this forward when it's people are not engaging with it. And if you look, as you said, Len, at the number of events that have been organized. And it doesn't seem to be going anywhere. And it's because it's that there's a disrespect now. Labour for me is a tainted brand. Um, so we've got to, as I mentioned earlier, build the alternative. We've got to build that radical left alternative. And that's what we're beginning to do with our alliance. So thanks for the question. Thanks very much indeed, Thelma. Can I just say a huge thank you to our fantastic speakers this evening. It's been so incredibly interesting. So thank you to Danielle and to Chris and to Thelma. And I hope we can stay in touch and work together and really take this radical left project forward to even greater success. So thanks every, everybody for coming this evening and um, see you soon. Everybody. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.